Imagine you and a few other complete strangers were gathering for 55 minutes in a room to discuss your deepest hopes and fears. The group facilitator leads you through some opening breath exercises and then tells you the overarching theme for the day, uncertainty. A few ground rules before the group gets going for 55 minutes. If you're not speaking, you're practicing active listening without interruption. If you want to express support for someone, uh, you can snap, place your hand over your heart, raise your hand after they speak. And now the first prompt for discussion under this theme for the day, uncertainty. But how I really feel is blank. After 20 minutes of respondents going with that, you're separated into pairs And in pairs, you answer this question, what keeps you up at night? Three minutes for them, three minutes for you. Come back together as a larger group and share what you have heard. The whole session then ends with some light stretching, with soothing music playing in the background. What you have just participated in is what is called a gathers. It's put together by a group called Peoplehood. It's led by the same co-founders who founded uh, a decade or so ago, the Soul Cycle, right, where they very overtly combined exercise and spirituality. Peoplehood now has a variety of both digital and spiritual sanctuaries, as they call them, where the gatherings take place. What you ask is the specific product. What, what are they charging for? We realize that connection should be its own product, one of the co-founders said. We are modern medicine for the loneliness epidemic. Relationship as product. Because they know. We know. People are searching. We are searching, aching for connection. Or think for a moment from a very different angle. How many conspiracy theories have bubbled up in recent years. Without going into any one of them, what makes a conspiracy theory attractive? What makes a story about having the real inside scoop about what's going on? Who's really pulling the strings? What's underneath the underneath that nobody knows about? But what makes that so alluring? When the world feels chaotic, when it feels uncertain, when a virus seems to break out of nowhere and change everything, when, when the nation and, and, the, and the world seems to be changing on so many fronts all at once, when a World War II era war breaks out in 2022, when everything feels out of control, we eagerly search for control. An explanation, a theory, oh, That's a semblance of control. Or or think once more uh, from yet another angle, how the pandemic seemed to to open the space for, right, the great resignation or great reprioritization, people looking afresh at their lives and asking these fundamental questions about what really matters, what what should I be doing with my life really in the days I'm given. People, I don't know if they would use this word, but people have been searching for a sense of call, Whether it's connection, control, call, some mix of all three, one can survey the modern American landscape and I think nod 
their head in the affirmative to say, yes, we are doing a lot of searching these days. Which, of course, is true in every generation with its own contextual flavor. And it was a form of searching, actually, specifically, that proved the presenting challenge for Paul as he's writing to this church in Colossa. There, this young church was being kind of tempted by a strong pagan influence all around that said that there are all kinds of hidden insider mysteries one can uncover, ecstatic spiritual experiences one can have, deep insights that one can find if you search them out rigorously, if you can know about the secret knowledge, the the, the secret ways of fasting and and self-denial, certain observances of special festivals, certain ritual washings. And it's not that searching per se is wrong. Goodness, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we have been sought out and found. But Paul sees a danger in this this particular kind of searching because it is forgetting the most essential, the most fundamental thing God's people already have. Which is why Paul prays as he does in this passage. As you, as you heard, there's a couple lines petitioning uh, some things. We'll, we'll talk about that. But then a whole bunch of lines just declaring in the prayer what God has already done, what the people already have. And so let's just lean in for a moment uh, over this prayer given unto searching people. May you be made strength, uh, uh, strong with all the strength that comes from Christ's glorious power so that you can endure all things with patience. Strength, to endure with patience. It's a strange petition over a searching people, but we'll come back to it. Listen to where the prayer goes from there. While joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light, he's rescued you from the power of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his Son, his beloved in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I pray that power is poured out upon you and through it so that you might be able to give thanks for all that God has done. And why specifically? Again, because for all the searching then and all the searching now, the most fundamental truth Paul is reminding the church is this. We've already arrived. We've already been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son in whom he, whom he loves. The language there echoes the Exodus story, making clear that for Paul, he sees us as a people who have been transferred from, from captivity to sin and darkness into the land of freedom and life, from captivity to home. This is the gracious ground we walk upon. And we stand there in this space, forgiven, next to all the other forgiven saints of light, here, there, throughout all generations. What Paul is making clear is that the church need not search for some kind of secret information, secret insight, gimmick, insider knowledge, to to finally get some some real understanding or, or move the ball forward. But as one commentator puts it, the people of God are to, quote, sink their roots deep into their very ground of being, Christ himself. Less about searching out there and more about deepening what is already ours by grace. 
some of the power and beauty of that promise was brought back to me uh, just the other night. As I mentioned in the announcements, many of you may be aware that this past spring, early summer, First Presbyterian Church has been working alongside Round Rock Presbyterian Church and Grace Presbyterian Church and San Gabriel Presbyterian Church in supporting and caring for and befriending this family from Afghanistan who are refugees, the Azizi family. Most of the family arrived to the United States, to Georgetown specifically, in early June. But the father, Khalid, the eldest son, Farzad, they remained in Kosovo as the family's been here. It has been, if you've been close to that story, an incredibly trying thing for the entire family. Plenty of worry, plenty of heartache, plenty of uh, terrifying uncertainties on a number of fronts with that distance and wondering if and when a reunion. And then in the middle of last week, almost really without warning, the news comes. Khalid and Farzad, they're going to arrive at Austin International Airport on Friday. They'll arrive to Georgetown Friday evening. So a group of folks from the four congregations, they, they go to the airport with the Azizi family to, to, to meet father and son as they come down that escalator in the airport, you know. And then those big old hugs and the pictures are just beautiful for those who, who got a couple uh, who went. And then a whole bunch of others from the four congregations gathered at their home in Georgetown to welcome them as, as they arrived there. I was able to be there for just part of it. And as we're all entering their living room space there, there, there there's all these different platters of food and pizza's been ordered. And there's, there's, there's just such an obvious sense of joy. And I had a few moments uh, myself to talk with Khalid, and it was the strangest thing. I'd never faced time with him like some others had, so I didn't have any kind of previous relationship. Uh, I've only been to their house one other time, and so don't nearly know the family as well as many of you do who are over there a lot. Even so, I found as I was just starting to talk with him that tears started to come down. And I started to choke on my words, and I had to stop. Why? In his book, Longing for Home, Frederick Buechner writes, Joy is home. When we're in the midst of home, unfolding fully, unfolding beautifully, unfolding expansively. When we're in the midst of, of the gift of home, not being taken for granted, but, 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 but people sinking their every root into the goodness of it, even just breathing the air of home is so powerful. Joy is home. To be sure, real challenges remain before the Azizi family, right? Farzad needs to be enrolled in school and make that significant life transition. Khalid has a good bit of documentation work to do. needs to find a job. Healthcare coverage is a question mark, how it's all going to work. Path towards citizenship, that's a, a massive aspect of all this. And yet, and yet, isn't it amazing for all the very real unknowns that exist out there? If you know your home, if the fullness of that gift holds you, if your roots can and do sink deeply into that, isn't that such an anchor, such reason for thanks amidst all 
of the unknowns. I pray that you might joyfully give thanks to the Father who has brought us home in Christ. At a fundamental level, what is invited by Paul's prayer is, is not so much a searching, but a sinking into our roots of this most basic truth. Walking around in the living room of it all. Frederick Buechner, he goes on to say in that same book, we have God's joy, God's home, in our blood. Which means, he says, that even when we cannot believe in God, even when we feel most spiritually bankrupt and deserted by God, feel homeless. Even so, God's mark is deep within us. Home cannot help but abide in us. I wonder what helps us, what helps you sink your roots deeply in the gracious truth that is already our ground of being. We live in a society where one could argue uncertainty remains the topic of the day, every day on many fronts. And the Church of Jesus Christ offers a prayer in the midst of that. Where so many of us search for connection, the prayer is, oh, that you might see that you already stand freely and forgiven alongside the saints of life. You already stand in the gift, perhaps needing to be unwrapped, but you've got it. In a society where conspiracy theories and a strong desire to, to find a sense of control exists amidst the chaos, the prayer is, oh, that you might know that you're securely home no matter what. And that, that, that in that knowledge, you might have the power to endure with patience whatever unknowns might unfold. Prayer offers no theories or explanations for all that goes on, but rather Paul would have us trust the home we have in Christ who has overcome all darkness. And in a society where we ache for a sense of direction, we search for a call, the, the prayer is first and foremost that you might know you've already arrived. Rest in the fact that you are God's beloved and God's joy is already coursing through your veins. It's not a prayer negating our constant seeking and growing and leaning forward, not at all. But, but it's making clear that none of our searching needs to be done from a space of anxious striving or anxious searching. All that needs to be illumined will be illumined as we sink our roots in the home that is ours. More concisely, it could be said this way. In a society ever searching for connection and control and calling, Paul declares Christ. And he prays Christ's power over us and under us and around us because, Beekner just once more, I believe that it is when Christ's power is alive in me and through me that I come closest to being truly home. Amen.